0: No sound because <laughs> this happens too often for me. <laughs> too much. I looked at the chat, dude. All right. Sorry, people. I appreciate you hanging in for the three minutes, <laughs> three and a half, four minutes of silence. Honestly. All right, well, I guess what I was saying was doesn't matter anymore because I hate repeating myself. But know that I went through some stuff that (laughs) that you'll never know about because I don't want to repeat myself. Ain't that a bitch? Welcome to Nine Cents. It's March 14th, and I'm not going to redo the intro. But uh, for everyone that I silently welcomed, (laughs) welcome again, honestly. Uh, Aaron, if I could smuggle you some stuff, I would. (laughs) I think you know that. Jen, you are not dead, or deaf, (laughs) or dead. You are just tuning in to an idiot who doesn't know how to unmute his mic. Okay, well. um, Yeah, I'm not gonna redo all that. (laughs) So we've got a show coming up, it's gonna be fun. Uh, Before I get into the show, I was uh, sitting down thinking last night, and I love to come up with like game shows as a way of, of making this satanic presentation that I do interesting. And though I have some really good ones that I truly do enjoy, we've got Bialza Bubblegum, which is fucking phenomenal. Uh, we've got uh, Never Have I Ever, which is just tons of fun. We've got The Tonight Show's True Confessions, which is just wonderfully noir. And we have uh, Pseudo Satanic Bingo. But I was thinking of one more game show style, which was like um, pseudo or satanic, which would be like a like kind of like a Jeopardy format where you all stand around. Um, And maybe like a family feud format where you got people on either side, you got a host in the middle and they're just running through scenarios and people and quotes that survey says are pseudo or satanic. And I think that with a bit of work, it could be pretty exciting. So I don't know. Does that sound interesting to anyone out there? If it does, maybe we can collaborate and come up with some good idea together. I've also been talking with a couple people about, um, another roast, I don't know if that'll happen, I do love the idea of it, but the process is a pain in the tuchus, and we'd have to do it live through, like, Skype or Google Meet or something, so that we could get everyone on camera at the same time, and that can be challenging for people with completely different schedules, so I don't know if that's going to happen, but I've been thinking about it, um, Two book releases which are incredibly exciting and if you're a Satanist who likes to read and you should be if you're tuning into this or at least satanic friendly in which case these books should still be of interest to you. We Are Satanists by Blanche Barton. Now I didn't know that this was gonna be like this. I thought Magister Barton was going to be rewriting and adding in extra information and just really revising her Church of Satan book release, her first edition, which I've got back here. Um, in the same way that she did A Secret Life of a Satanist, just sort of revise, revisiting it, um, updating inconsistencies, and adding in new information. But no! It's actually going to be quite massive, and it's going to feature a lot of Satanists. I should be in there. <laughs> Unless I got cut in the editing process, which I wouldn't fault anyone for. <laughs> but... Um, it's just one reason why I'm letting you guys know it's in pre-order status, so you can check out Satan me or in the show notes. I'll post tomorrow with the audio version of the show. I will uh, I'll let you all know about that. Of course, you can just go to satanme.com right now and pre-order it for yourselves. but it's called "We are Satanists," uh, and that's going to be a really good one. so the other one is by Carl Abramson, Abrahamson. I don't know how the fuck you say it, I just say Abramson. And uh, it's Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan. This is going to be released in February next year. So almost a full year away. But the topics and the new information that's going to be released in it, I think are worthy of a pre-order. Now it's less expensive than the We Are Satanists, but it's also a lot smaller. Though, not to you know shake a stick at, it's still going to be really good so if you're into collecting satanic literature as i am then you should definitely pre-order these two books that's from innertraditions.com and you can just search anton levey in innertraditions.com or search for the link tomorrow morning uh, in the show notes as i release them yeah I, it's crazy because i had a cold open about this dream i had that you guys couldn't hear because my mic was muted And I I do wanna talk about that really quick because there's this sense, um, there's this expectation that comes with people sometimes. You see them in a specific type of presentation like this video uh, that you're watching now, or you reflect on any of the number of decades of uh, weekly content that I've uh, released, and you get a sense of who I am and what I am. And certainly if you're new coming into this whole realm of Satanism, you may have some different expectations of what it means to be a priest or a reverend or uh, someone of significance or import. I am neither of those. (laughs) I am a reverend. I am a priest in the Church of Satan. But I'm not someone of significance. I had this dream where I was invited over to this guy's house and I went and stayed the night and did dinner and everything and did a whole, you know, satanic um, get-together and we were going to conduct a, a group ritual. In the dream, it was someone that I knew online... But when I got there and the next morning, the wife was completely underwhelmed and she was like, look, this guy is not, he's just a dude. (laughs) Like, why are you inviting him over and doing this whole big dinner for just some random guy that you met online? And I think that's a very fair assessment. (laughs) And I've gotten this reaction from a couple people. I had some friends that are now uh, good friends uh, over for the very first time and they only knew me because of, me performing these shows right and so there's this expectation of I'm going over to a satanic priest's home they were thinking eyes wide shut and they got here and it was like leave it to beaver and so they were didn't really know what to expect maybe a little underwhelmed the first time I got together with my nephew was a similar situation as well so I'm used to this idea of people having this expectation or this image of me and who I am and then they meet me and realize, oh, he's he's just a dude, and they're supremely disappointed. <laughs> I don't know how to I don't know how to to um, rationalize or how to uh, tame <laughs> uh, my uh, sense of self loathing <laughs> when it's encouraged when it's inflamed by situations like this, whether it's of my own making in my head and my dreams or by reality happening right in front of me. I guess, never expect anything except for a bumbling idiot out of me. And then you'll be pleasantly surprised, I suppose. I don't know. Always be wary of someone who puts on airs before you meet them. If they're not honest about who and what they are from go, then you can pretty much dismiss them as phonies. That's all I'll say. Definitely. Too much. Whoa, what are you guys talking about? Uh, Yeah, both books are going to be great. I can't wait for them to come out. (laughs) A bag of dicks. That's funny. Okay, um, I guess that's enough for banter. Let's dive into The Devil's Advocate because this is going to be a good conversation about selfishness. (laughs) Selfishness. often sent email. This is, hold on, I got to fix this. Just a little too bright for me. Uh, I'm often emailed uh, by the audience, uh, various audience members, about topics to talk about or um, just thoughts that they might think I'm interested in or just to, you know, BS a little bit. And I welcome them. I don't always have a chance to get back to you uh, if you have sent me correspondence, but in this particular case, I did not get back to them, but it did inspire an idea for a show, which I think was probably their idea in the first place. So this is actually from Jordan Peterson's Beyond Order. I know nothing about Jordan Peterson. I know nothing about this book. I only know the snippet of it that was sent to me, and they asked me about my ideas about it, my thoughts on this snippet. So, I want to be sure that everyone understands. I do not endorse anything, ever, unless I explicitly endorse it. So, those two books that are coming out, I'm not going to say whether they're good or not, because I don't know. I I haven't read them, I don't know. I know I'm excited because of the contents of them and the people that are working on them. But that's really the only basis I'm going off of. I don't know anything about Jordan Peterson. I don't know anything about his first book, or this, uh, I guess, second. I do know the snippet that was sent again, and that's what I'm gonna be responding to. I feel like I have to put that out there because people, again, expectations when you associate um, even ideas. All right, so that being said, this snippet was really about the idea of selfishness, is how I interpreted it. Um, And it's around this basis of which you are you thinking about When you think of yourself in the terms of free will, and that's your present you, your near future you, or your long-term future you. And so it's this idea of how we as individuals, we as human species, who have understood this concept of time and future, have then become obsessed with it so much that... We either seem to focus only on the moment without thinking about the consequences of the future, or focus entirely on the future to the detriment of the now. And this can be encapsulated in the ideas of addicts who are only thinking about the the high that they're going to be getting in the moment. or Uh, Let's go to religious zealots who are only thinking of a kingdom that they are going to be joining and hence they forsake the joys that life can give them for the promise of a greater future. So these are very two um, sort of fantastical ends of a spectrum, but it is the spectrum that we all find ourselves somewhere in between and on. Um, And we can either reflect on this individually in a moment or we can reflect on it, you know, in long term scope. Uh, as we go through a series of moments. He says that you are free to do anything you want because you do not have to care about anyone else. But then he tempers consequence and adds on reaction to that because as we all know, to every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. Every choice we make, whether good or bad, or you know nothing of importance or note, There are things that happen because of those choices. So, uh, I don't wear a condom, my wife gets pregnant. (laughs) A plus B equals I have no money and I don't sleep at all. (laughs) Really is what it comes down to. Um, The future is inevitably coming, he says, and you are best advised to be ready for it. So it's tempering that idea that yes, You have free will, you can do whatever you want. If you need money, you can steal it. If you want to kill someone, you can kill them. But, the future reaction to your choices are in the mail, they are coming. So, if you want to have freedom in the future, maybe don't go kill someone. Maybe don't steal from them because the society you live in has consequences for certain actions. If you take those actions, you're going to suffer those consequences. That being said, you are required by harsh necessity to take all of those yous into account. Your present you, your near-term and long-term future yous into account when making choices. There is some utility in discounting the importance of the yous who exist far enough into the future because the future is uncertain. So that's to say that you don't want to make too many decisions in life based on a far long-term eventual version of who you want to be, because the truth is, is life is chaotic. It, if nothing else, keeps you on your toes and makes decisions for you in some cases, or certainly prompts decisions you weren't planning on making. Uh, And so you can't always plan exclusively for long-term goals because you have to be nimble. You gotta stay light on your feet, float like a butterfly. Okay, so here is what the future means, as he puts it. If you're going to take care of yourself, you are already burdened or privileged with a social responsibility. The you for whom you are caring is a community that exists across time. The necessity for considering this society of the individual, so to speak, is a burden and an opportunity that seems uniquely characteristic Of human beings. So he's saying that you are a community of yourself comprised of the various concepts of you the you in the now, the you in the near future, and the you in the distant future. And that collection of you is a community that you should care for, and you are expected to care for because you are the sole proprietor (laughs) of that future, of that life, of that inevitability of existence or the ending of it. And that that is a burden that is exclusive, as we understand it, to human beings, because of the way that we simply evolved. We discovered the future some long time ago, and now the future is where we each live in potential. Conceptually, it's pretty stunning to take into consideration if you haven't before. We treat that as reality, the future. It is a reality that only might be, but it is one with a high probability of becoming now, eventually, and we are driven to take that into account. It is crazy how we conceive of time as a species. Because honestly, bears hibernate and prepare, and and a lot of other animals do this as well, they prepare for the oncoming season for survival, But outside of that, it's kind of in the now, in the moment, that they all exist. We seem to be the only species that we can understand, admittedly, we don't understand too much, too greatly, it seems, um, that we conceive of distant futures and plan accordingly. Or, in the case of uh, global climate change, we don't plan for, but we're still cognizant of. He closes out his thoughts with this. Narrow selfishness is destined to be non-productive. It is for this reason, among others, that a strictly individualistic ethic is a contradiction in terms. There is, in fact, little difference between how you should treat yourself, once you realize that you are a community that extends across time, and how you should treat other people. I have a problem with this idea. He's saying simply because you must be cognizant of your potentials and your now, the community of you, that you should take that and extrapolate it to other people. And that is a wholly unsatanic idea. I was on board with this concept of focusing on you in the moment and the future and using that as an individual moral guide for oneself. But once you try to jump and extrapolate that to how you engage and interact with other people, why? What is the benefit to that? Now, he speaks specifically about benefits that you can uh, uh, enjoy based on that um, sense of community that you would treat yourself. So you must treat others as you would treat yourself. But that's not always the case. And it certainly ignores the realities of the chaos of experience and decisions that you must make in order to preserve a future of you. For example, if someone steps up to you with a firearm and they're about to kill you if you don't do X or Y, you have to make a choice of doing X or Y or face the termination of you. Now would you extrapolate the kindness of you to that person? if the tables ended up being turned and you gained leverage in the situation? No, I would shoot them in the face for having put me in that uncomfortable situation. Eye for an eye, lex talionis, but I'm a Satanist. And so I can't stand it when we as Satanists latch on to philosophical ideas of atheists generally and try to take that as some sort of global truth to live by. Generally, I treat people indifferently and, if they wrong me, aggressively. But it's very rare, very rare for me to show any affection to them on the terms that I treat myself with. I, as an atheist, put myself on a pedestal. There is me and there is everyone else. No one else is going to hold me up. So it is my job. It is incumbent upon me to elevate myself because no one else is going to do it. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to be focused on the community of me as he puts it. But unless that involves some other random person, I'm not going to treat the other random person the same way that I would treat myself. That's overextending yourself. And again, Antithetical to Satanism. So I always fall back on the idea of referencing the first satanic statement. Satan represents indulgence instead of abstinence. So this is in fact focusing on the now version of you. But let's not forget the chapter or essay in the Stanic Bible, compulsion, not, uh, I'm sorry, indulgence, not compulsion. I fucked that up. Um. And the fact is, is that we can enjoy the, the, the true carnal pleasures of the now as long as we are mindful of what is to come. We are mindful of the consequences in the future. So if I stepped outside of my marriage in order to enjoy a carnal moment, I would be forsaking a future with the, the people that I have now. So I would make the decision personally not to step outside because I enjoy the life that I have and I love the people that I share that life with. I would be reflecting on how I treat them by making the decision to step out. And that would be a deterrent, but that's because it's someone I've chosen to love and include in my life. It's a choice. It is not an assumption simply because it's another entity, another human being. And I think that is a very important distinction to Satanists, one that we have to put a tack in, put it on the wall, and always remember. You choose who to take care of, who to include in your life, who to care for. It is not a given, an expectation by others that you should apply to yourself. It is your choice. You are your own God. And of course, I mix a little bit of Star Wars in with it because that's the kind of nerd that I am. And I always think, be mindful of the present, but not forgetful of past orthodoxies, right? So keep your mind in the moment. Enjoy those incredibly powerful stimulants that you can experience in the moment, whether it's passion or hatred or compassion. Um but not to the sake of ruining your potential future. Always, as a Satanist, you should always be thinking of the goals you have in life, how you can achieve them, and what you can enjoy in the moment while you're on the road to achieving them. All right, Don't derail yourself. It's too easy to do that. And people who don't think about a future will always derail a potential future. And that's kind of all I have for this. Uh, what do you guys think? What do you guys, Uh What book are we discussing? Got sidetracked. Uh, it was Beyond Order. To think of time in a linear fashion is a prison of the current convention. Time flows in four dimensions, not just one. Um, yes, in the concept of space-time, certainly. But ultimately, it's a construct in the way that we can understand it in the same way that we cannot fathom our brains are not capable of fathoming number uh, fathoming numbers above a certain amount it's just it, you know what is what is a trillion dollars what what is a billion like it's hard to to visualize and conceptualize what that number actually means whereas if you do try to think of time and potential futures in a linear form it is easier for us to understand it because that uh, that is ultimately the the limitation of our human development, and we can only conceive in ways that we are capable, you know what I mean? So in the same way that a fish may not understand that there's a dimension outside and above that cap of uh, the top of the surface of the water, we, of course, are without that dimension, and so we understand there's something greater. Well, there are things that are greater and ultimately different dimensional understandings that are just beyond us as a species, at least right now. So it's, it's hard to jump into a conversation like this from that standpoint rather than meeting it in a term that, and certainly framing it in a way that is more accessible to more people. But I agree with you, space-time is not just two-dimensional. Uh, You think this review would have enhanced by watching Peterson and Weinstein on Weinstein's podcast from earlier this week? A three-way conversation would be quite interesting. Uh, I'll have to check that out. I haven't haven't looked up that. How's it going, Ruth? Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Let's see. Agreed as well and learned from the Star Wars we must... (laughs) It's funny. Uh, Satan represents undefiled wisdom instead of hypocritical Uh, self-deceit. We are Satanists. I already told everyone about that. I think I might've been on mute for half of it, but (laughs) I did bring it up. (laughs) Um, Okay, so I'll have to check that out, dog, uh, just so I have uh, an understanding of where they were coming from. But out of context, just given the information that I was given, that's my take on it. Uh, Thank you so much for sending me the email to the individual who did. Uh, I didn't get permission to say their name, so I won't. But uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Let's change on over to uh, infernal informant. feel like I'm saying this word wrong, so if I am, please correct me. But we're going to be talking about this. Scientists solve another piece of the puzzling Antikythera Mechanism. And this is from Ars Technica. Scientists have long struggled to solve the puzzle of the gearing system on the front of the so-called Antikythera Mechanism, a fragmentary ancient Greek astronomical calculator. Perhaps the earliest example of a geared device, now an interdisciplinary team at University College London, has come up with a computational model that reveals a dazzling display of the ancient Greek cosmos, according to a new paper published in the Journal Scientific Reports. The team is currently building a replica mechanism, moving gears and all, using modern machinery. They've actually created it. And uh, there's a video on Vimeo that you can't embed on other websites, but there's a link to it in the show notes if you want to check it out or in the article that I'm referencing. It's pretty interesting. Quote, We believe that our reconstruction fits all the evidence that scientists have gleaned from the extant remains to date, co-author Adam Wojcik, a materials scientist at UCL, told The Guardian. A hand-powered Antikythera mechanism has a long history. In 1900, a Greek sponge driver a diver named Elias Stadiatus discovered a wreck of an ancient cargo ship off the coast of Antikythera Island in Greece. He and others divers recovered all kinds of artifacts from the ship. A year later, an archaeologist named Valerios Stais was studying what he thought was just a piece of rock recovered from the shipwreck, but he noticed there was a gear wheel embedded in it. It turned out to be an ancient mechanical device. The Antikythera mechanism is now housed in the National Archaeological Museum of Athens. The 82 surviving fragments of the device were, 82 surviving fragments from ancient Greece of a mechanical device under the water. That's insane. (laughs) That's crazy. Okay, so just that alone is, is worth noting. They were originally housed in a wooden box roughly the size of a shoebox, with dials on the outside, containing a complex assembly of gears uh, within. The largest piece is known as Fragment A, which has bearings, pillars, and a block. Another piece, Fragment D, has a disc, a 63-tooth gear, and a plate. The mechanism's very existence offers strong evidence that such technology existed as early as 150 to 100 B.C but the knowledge was subsequently lost. Similar machines with equivalent complexity didn't appear again until the 18th century. Let that sink in for a second. Holy shit. Nearly almost 2,000 years until we saw this technology arise naturally again. The ancient Greeks had it. That is crazy to think. (laughs) <laughs> this, I love this stuff. Sorry, I geek out about it. It took decades just to clean the device off, and in 1951, a British scientist-historian named Derek J. DeSola-Prince began investigating the theoretical workings of the device. Based on X-ray and gamma-ray f- photographs of the fragments, Price and physicist Karakalos published a 70-page paper in 1959 in the Transactions of the American Philosophical Society. Based on these images, Price hypothesized that the mechanism had been used to calculate the motions of stars and planets, making it the first known analog computer. In 2002, Michael Wright, then Curator of Mechanical Engineering at the Science Museum in London, made headlines with new, more detailed x-ray images of the device taken via linear tomography, which means that only features in a particular plane come into focus, enabling closer inspection and pinning the exact location of each gear. Wright's closer analysis revealed a fixed central gear in the mechanism's main wheel around which other moving gears could rotate. He concluded that the device was specifically designed to model epicyclic motion in keeping with the ancient Greece notion that celestial bodies moved in circular patterns called epicycles. This was pre Copernicus, so the fixed point around which everything moved was believed to be the Earth. Freeth and his co-authors had been working to reconstruct the cosmos display, describing in the inscriptions in the mechanism's back cover, featuring planets moving on concentric rings with marker beads as indicators. X-rays of the front cover accurately represent the cycles of Venus and Saturn, 462 and 442 years respectively. After considerable struggle, we managed to match the evidence in Fragments A and D to a mechanism for Venus, which exactly models its 462-year planetary period relation with the 63-tooth gear playing a crucial role, says co-author David Higgin. This enables the team to derive the cycles of other planets as well, and to create mechanisms to calculate the astronomical cycles while minimizing the number of gears so that everything would fit into this tight little space of the device. The team also suggests that there may have been double-ended pointer to predict eclipses, which they have dubbed the Dragon Hand. There are still plenty of mysteries surrounding the Antikythera mechanism, however, such as whether the latest version could really have been built using ancient manufacturing techniques. Quote, the concentric tubes at the core of the planetarium that carries the astronomical outputs are where my faith in Greek technology falters and where the model might also falter. Wojcik told the Guardian. Lathes would be the way today, but we can't assume that they had those for metal. Furthermore, he added, although metal is precious and so would have been recycled, it is odd that nothing remotely similar has been found or dug up. If they had the tech to make the Antikytherin mechanism, why did they not extend this tech to devise other machines such as clocks? Nonetheless, this is a key theoretical advance on how the cosmos was constructed in the mechanism, says Wachik. Now we must prove its feasibility by making it with ancient techniques. This has been a long-speculated key factor in people's theories about ancient aliens influencing human evolution. I don't believe in the alien-human theory. I do believe in human civilizations which were much more advanced than others at the same time in history. For example, we have tribes that are still very much Bronze Age existing on our planet, while we speak through sound waves across the globe. So very different technologies in having the exact same planet at the exact same time. I think that has been a case, maybe not as advanced as we are right now, in ancient history as well. There are techniques that different people who lived in different places across this globe and traveled and communicated with more primitive species. That is what I think this is. This is me purely fantasizing and just basing it on conjecture and and, and my own personal wish of finding some sort of ancient intelligent civilization. But you cannot argue the fact that this complex device exists dated to a time when they didn't really have the technology to create it, although it's sharing ideas which were common at the time. Not common amongst common people but common amongst scholars that's amazing that's genuinely amazing so when we think of our linear human history and we think oh we went from animal uh you know, just like apes and we just progressed through evolution until what we are now well i think that's a shortcut to thinking and i think archaeological proof in uncovered in the last decade and, and, and beyond is evidence pointing to that being a lie. We have had human species evolving at rates that are disparate to each other throughout all of human history, throughout all of time on this planet. And different catastrophes have ended those civilizations and we have archeological record for that taking place. Maybe not as advanced as this device, but certainly others and other uh, knowledges. So, and and I've talked to it, uh, spoken to it in the past shows as well on ancient history and ancient human history. So I just, I I find it always so incredibly interesting, which is why I have to bring it up and talk about it here. What do you guys think? Uh, Truly way out of its time. It uses science much further ahead of its time. Yeah. Why can't you handle the people who ask a question or walk down the street? (laughs) Nice. Worst to shower sauce if anyone needs that. Nice. I do need that dog. (laughs) It's fascinating to think about the things we don't know about the human animal's intellectual past. Yeah, for sure. Uh, There's little evidence to prove the ancient man with any less capable of thought than we currently are, aside from pre prefrontal cortex days. Yeah, and that's the other thing is that I think we for those who believe in ancient alien intervention, you're not giving the human animal enough credit. We are very, very crafty. (laughs) We can come up. We are problem solvers. And our histories have proven it. We can come up with abstract ideas and then take those abstract ideas and apply them mechanically to our reality. That is what we've always done. and That's what we will always do. That is how we can dream of things and then see them come to fruition. We are the only species on this planet that we know of that can do this. And... To to somehow shortcut our ancestors thinking that they were stupid compared to us, I think is putting on (laughs) airs. And there's no reason why we should be doing that when we look at our current society and how truly sad a state of affairs it is. And let's talk about that. I guess that's as good of a... um, Transition is any. FEMA deployed to help process migrant children amid overcrowding in border facilities. This is from CBSnews.com. The Biden administration on Saturday instructed the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, to help process the increasing number of unaccompanied migrant children entering U.S. border custody amid reports of overcrowding and holding facilities. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas announced he has ordered FEMA to help U.S. immigration officials receive and shelter migrant minors crossing the southern border without parents or legal guardians for the next 90 uh, 90 days. The Department of FEMA officials illustrates the formidable logistical and humanitarian test the Biden administration is facing at the U.S.-Mexico border due to a sharp increase in the number of migrant children being taken into custody in recent weeks. Nearly 9,500 unaccompanied minors, most of them from Central America, <coughs> most of them from Central America, entered the US border custody in February, a 21-month high. More than 7,000 of them were transferred to the US Refugee Agency, which has been struggling to find enough bed space in its network of shelters. The shelters have previously been operated at reduced capacity because of social distancing measures put in place due to the coronavirus pandemic. The dwindling bed space at US Refugee Agency shelters has created a massive backlog of minors in Border Patrol holding facilities, most of which were built to briefly detain adult migrants, not children. The number of children held in Border Patrol custody this week has averaged more than 3,000. On Friday, CBS News reported that children detained at Customs and Border Protection holding facilities in South Texas told lawyers that they were being held in overcrowded conditions. The children also reported having to sleep on the floor, not being able to call family members, having limited access to showers, and not seeing sunlight in nearly a week. Uh, Before I continue, I want to put a pin in this really quick. It's easy to emotionally connect the idea of children... And apply that to well, we must treat all children, uh, you know, with with kid, <laughs> no shit, kid gloves, and give them the you know love and respect and caring that they all deserve, and blah 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 blah. Um, two things. One, I don't believe in the sanctity of life, and so I don't necessarily believe in the idea that all children should be, uh, you know, they they all don't deserve anything. I think circumstance and random chaos equates a deserving human child. It's not fair and maybe it's not right, depending on your own set of morals, but I think that's the reality of the situation. And two, when overwhelmed, what is someone supposed to do? You can only deal with the situation that you have. If you have thousands of migrant children flooding your facilities, you have to put them somewhere. And if that means they're overcrowded or if that means they're on the floor, that sucks. But what else are you going to do? They're there. You have to deal with it. So you deal with it as best as you can until you can make the situation better. So I cannot fault any of these individuals running these facilities. They're not intentionally, in most cases, there are rare cases where it's not the case. They're not intentionally harming children. They're not intentionally abusing them. They're just doing what they can with what they have. And we have to keep that in context because not everyone's a bad guy in the same way that not everyone's a good guy. Some people are just dealing with what they got. All right. So, in this announcement of the FEMA assignment, Majorca's acknowledged that his department's border holding facilities are unfit to house minors. They're built for adults. Quote I am incredibly proud of the agents of the Border Patrol who have been working around the clock in difficult circumstances to take care of children. Uh, temporarily in our care, Majorca said. Yet, as I have said many times, a border patrol facility is no place for a child. Uh, CBS News has requested access to the migrant holding facility in Donna, Texas. A uh, FEMA spokesperson Told CBS News, the agency is working with the Department of Health and Human Services, which oversees the refugee agency, to quickly expand capacity for safe and appropriate shelter and to provide food, water, and basic medical care. Mayorkas said U.S. border officials are working to transfer unaccompanied minors to the refugee office as quickly as possible, but he noted the task is being complicated by the pandemic. What else are you going to do? Um... In addition to the FEMA deployment, Mayorca said officials from other departments of Homeland Security agencies, including the Federal Protection Services and U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, were also providing assistance with shelter operations and security. In 2014, the Obama administration tapped FEMA to oversee the government's response to then record numbers of Central American children crossing the U.S. southern border without parents. While the Biden administration has so far continued to rely on a public health authority invoked by the Trump administration to swiftly expel most migrant adults and some of facilities without a court hearing, it has allowed unaccompanied children to continue their proceedings into the U.S., as outlined by U.S. law. Republicans have said the rising number of children crossing the border alone stems from the Biden administration's policy changes and its pledges to undo Trump-era asylum restrictions. On Saturday, however, DHS said that marked rise on border crossings could be attributed to poverty, violence, and food insecurity in Central America, which is also recovering from two devastating back-to-back hurricanes that made landfall last fall. So we have to understand some basic, basic facts. We are on a planet that is hurling through space. We have drawn imaginary borders just because we want power and control. Those who fall outside of our borders, who experience devastation to themselves or their families and decide to migrate to other locations on the planet, can, in some cases, cross our border. Does that mean that they do not deserve an opportunity like we have? Does the random chaos that they were born in a place that didn't have sustainable food and water or shelter or safety make it so they do not deserve those traits that we enjoy simply because of the randomness of chaos that we were born here? Are we greater than them? Are we better than them simply because we were born within these imaginary borders? Do we get to pass judgment and death sentences on those who were born outside of our borders that we drew? They're all questions that you have to come to terms with, and everyone's going to come to terms on their own understandings of, when you think about this topic. Because you cannot, on one hand, say that we as Americans deserve this without facing the reality that you are lucky as shit to have been born and exist here to be able to say that when there's others who are not in a position of safety and security that you are you have to be able to step outside of yourself for a moment to truly understand global experiences of the human experience right a global understanding of the human experience is what you should be looking for. So, that being said, some people are saying nationalism is never okay, others saying nationalism is important. You're gonna fall down on that line wherever you fall down on it. My personal interpretation is, is that we need to understand that there are forces within our imaginary borders that affect other imaginary borders that can cause, harm, or help those other borders. Our influence can either cause migrants to come uh, you know, rushing across our border, or our influence can stop them. And that may mean sending money down to third world countries to help prop up their failing existence, or that means us just having people flood our borders and just dealing with it. But we have to understand that our actions in the moment, see, so we're going back to the beginning conversation, have consequences in the future. You cannot just blame any, whether it's the Trump, Obama, or now Biden administrations, on problems that were caused by previous administrations in their dealings with the rest of the world. The United States is really great at propping up failing governments or completely taking them out from under their feet and installing their own people and then having that deal turn sour. All of these situations are all choices that we have made as a nation, as imaginary borders drawn. Those are our choices. But then there are external factors that have nothing to do with us. And that's just a planet moving through space, experiencing famine in different areas, experiencing water crises in others. Now, we may influence those conditions and global climate change, but global climate change is going to happen regardless. So we should always have thought about it in the first place and how it affects human beings. Conflicts arise because of global um, um, crises. Uh, I I, I don't know if it's just age or if it's just me, but sometimes I'm just on a roll and my mind just drops right off a ledge and I just forget where I was going with it. Um, Global climate change affects cultures around the world which cause wars, which cause migration, which cause problems in dealing with migrants. And that's what we are dealing with. So we can either put up a fucking wall and close our eyes and hold our breath and pretend that no one's banging on the other side acknowledging that in some cases we had influence over them being there and in some cases it's just a random chaos of life or we can decide to help some of them. Now, here's the thing. If you don't believe in the sanctity of life, and I don't, why should we help anyone? Why should we help kids? Honestly, do they deserve something? Do they, Are they owed something? Does that extrapolate to other species, other animals, kids? Now we don't go out of our way to harm children, but is that not what we're doing as a species, as a culture, if we are expelling them back into the arms of uh, uh, starvation and death by rejecting them at our border? I don't have any answers for you. That's something that you have to come on terms with on your own. As a Satanist, I give children the benefit of the doubt over adults. The benefit of a potential future. And so I act in the now to not harm them. um, And not steal their potential from them. I would prefer to assist them in being more productive. That would then benefit my society and in turn myself. And that means not turning them away and doing our best to care for them. And reconnect them with their family in some way. Through... um, Ultimately, if it means making them citizens or propping up their, their governments around the world. It's difficult when you, you, when you talk about these topics and admitting your own perspectives and the consequences of those perspectives. What it means to others when you have specific ideas. But life isn't supposed to be easy. It just is. You just have to deal with the complexity of it. And our immigration system is fundamentally broken right now. It wasn't broken by Trump. It wasn't broken by Obama. It was broken because we are human beings imperfect in our understandings and expressions. And that's just how we built our society. It's just broken. Now, we have to decide on ways to correct it, but if we are actively housing and taking care of children, we've accepted them, we've taken them, we need to take care of them, or we need to send them back. Those are the two choices you've got. Leaving them stagnant is not an option, not for our society. And so we have chosen to try to bring in FEMA in order to help alleviate the influx and deal with this massive, massive migration of people. Where do you land? How do you feel about it? How cold are you in your understandings? Do you have compassion for anyone else? And if you do, where do you draw that line? It's an interesting conversation to have with yourself. All right, so what do you guys say? No, we do not. 1940s Germany was nationalism. That's um, true. <laughs> Dennis uh, could be a downfall too. You don't know because the big thing that requires individuals to formulate their own opinions. Understanding that is frustrating though because people always want to act like nothing ever came before the situation. Like <laughs> la de da shit never came out of nowhere. No, you're right. We, we, have, we cannot be forgetful of past orthodoxies. It's right there as a core philosophy of Satanism. Uh, we have to acknowledge that, that where we are came from somewhere. All ideolo- ideologies actively better somebody. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Or else they wouldn't be adopted in any form at all. If it didn't work, it would just be mad scrawling in a notebook, which we have seen manifestos of. <laughs> uh, you feel better knowing children might have food and a place to sleep. Yeah, it's, I, I, haven't quite, I haven't quite come to the terms with the way that I justify my idea of there is no sanctity of life. But I want to protect kids. I, I I don't I don't know if that's informed just because of my life experience and culturally, you know, the society I was raised in, or if it's some satanic understanding of our species. But I couldn't in the same way that I will never <laughs> without real, real strong insistence. Um and coercion. I will never walk into a children's cancer ward because I will not be able to emotionally handle that situation. I will break down and just be a blubbering, tearing monstrosity of a human being. I cannot handle that emotional impact. I don't know how I would handle thousands of children asking for an opportunity to survive. How could you refuse that? But then how can I conceive of there is no sanctity in life? It's, you know, you struggle. You struggle with your ideas. The best you can do, wrap your hands around them and, and, and figure it out. And I like what Aaron says. Maybe a bit of both. All right. That's enough for some heavy stuff. <laughs> Let's get into some goofy fun stuff with the Creature Feature. Oh, Dennis, I am terribly sorry for your loss, man. That's that's horrible. Alright. Maybe this will bring some levity to your life. Man in kilts! Alright, if you know me, you know I lo- yeah, my ancestry is Scottish. I love Scottish culture. And yes, there is Scottish history and culture, which is very rich and very alive. Uh, we come from uh, storytelling peoples. <laughs> so our music... Our food, I say our, I, I don't really have any direct connection. This is all just me showing appreciation and love for where my ancestors came. I'm not pretending to have any, you know, stake in the fight here. But I love Scottish history and culture. I've read it. I, I, I live it. I just appreciate it. And um, when this came out, I was very excited. So what Men in Kilts is, is a, a. this is the logline. Sam and Graham will roll up their sleeves and take part in some of ancient rituals of craft, language, and storytelling that have shaped Scottish culture. Ultimately, what it is, is a road trip experience show. Every episode, they're traveling to different places to talk about different events. They have a show focused on Scottish games, Scottish cuisine, which, if, if all you think about Scotland, uh, Scottish cuisine, is haggis, you're one, an idiot, <laughs> and two, not taken in consideration where they're located. They're on an island, surrounded by the ocean, and what's in the ocean? Amazing seafood. <laughs> they raise Angus beef. Like, Scottish cuisine is so much more diverse and rich. The culture is so deep in ancient history and human expression. And for them to just touch on some of these points as they're going episode to episode, traveling around Scotland, is so much fun. And they take the piss out of each other. They talk shit for you. Uh, those of you who don't know what take the piss means, they make fun of each other in such a wonderful, friendly way. Uh, and if you don't know who Sam and Graham are, they are uh, stars from the TV series Outlander on Stars Channel. It's Sam Hewitt and Graham McTavish. It premiered on Stars February fourteenth, twenty twenty one. And um, it's based off of a book that they both published called Clanlands, which is a behind-the-scenes account of their Men in Kilts journey. It was released before the series was released. It is so much fun um, watching these two Scotsmen travel through and learn about their own history. And this is something that I think is very indicative, indicative, (laughs) because pronunciations are hard, Um, apparently of the truth about our human experience. We live in an area and you will never realize how little you know about your area until you invite someone into it. And they say, hey, tell me about where you live. And you're like, oh, you know, I don't really know much about my history. (laughs) So you can't think of any individual Scotsman, for example, as having any real understanding about the diversity and richness of their own history or the vast scope of their country, simply because they're born there. In the same way that you ask the average American how many presidents there are, or who was the 13th president, and they're not gonna fucking know in most cases. The average person just focuses on their own life and their own moment, right? To see these two Scotsmen experience their own history, their own culture, in a way that is fresh and new for those, as fresh and new for those watching, as it is for them to experience it, is wonderful. It is truly, truly fun. Uh, So, if you enjoy uh, Scottish culture, or just travel shows, or food shows, or just enjoy um, shows about discovery, you will definitely enjoy this. It's funny, it's interesting, and it's entertaining. And what else can you ask for in a show? So, by way of priming your eyeballs simply because i want more people to understand understand and appreciate scottish culture i'm going to show you the trailer for it so let's watch it together a land that is cut through with locks and mountains that weave like some kind of tartan oh, kilt i knew you were gonna go there which is called Scotland. It's Scotland. we're going on the trip of a lifetime spent a lot of time here, obviously, shooting Outlander. What is portrayed in the show is truthful mm. in many ways. Time travel this is truthful. Yeah, I wasn't necessarily thinking of the time travel bit. story of two men who know nothing. I don't thing. know what I'm doing. I really love it. I cannot believe that this was your idea Watching of a these good two. time. This This is is a great example of amazing Scottish seafood. seafood. The soldiers would dance the swords before they went into battle. The 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 origination of the Highland Games would come from the clan. This land tells a story of its people. Thank you for having us, Captain. you take us back to shore, that would be great. Make it so. Make it so Make seriously. It. <laughs> Have you been waiting all day to say that? Yeah. That is impressive. Here's to Scotland. Is- men in kilt, men in. 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 Kill several trip with Sammy Grant. It's just fun, it's it's good fun. Definitely check it out if you have the opportunity because, um, I don't know. I, I this is why I loved Anthony Bourdain's series that he produced. Um, it started with No Reservations and then it did a bunch of other versions of the same thing. But Anthony Bourdain's No Re, um, Reservations was brilliant because he took his chef background and writer author storytelling background infused it with his sense of rock and roll live in the moment experience and then applied it to different cultures all around the world it was so much fun to watch him through all of those shows and i'm getting the same enjoyment that i got out of him Out of this and it's only gonna be eight episodes i don't think they're doing a second season or anything so it's just a sort of featurette type show but they it's rare that they're entertaining and educational at the same time and uh this really is so check it out and that's all i got for you guys sorry about the muted beginning i did really go into like a whole introduction of the show which is really embarrassing This happened to me on the second um, Satanic Warlock show, too. I mute the mic so you don't hear me in the background as I'm trying to set up the show and deal with the show. And then sometimes I forget to unmute it, which sucks. But that's the reality. I'm a flawed human. (laughs) Suck it. (laughs) If you're turning in, you're expecting it. But thank you so much for tuning in. That's it for this episode of Nine Cents. You can find any of my Satanic Series episodes on my website, ReverendCampbell.com. And of course, if you want to support the show, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already, and click that little bell so that you're notified whenever I go live. From time to time, I do impromptu live performance stuff that after it's live is only available to channel members. So if you want to access the literal hundreds, plural, of those daily thought vlogs and vile existence vlogs... Become a member of the channel. I think it's worth 99 cents a month. (laughs) But that's up to you to decide. If you want to learn more about Satanism or the Church of Satan, check out churchofsatan.com and read the Satanic Bible. And I want to mention again, just like I did at the top of the show, whether my mic was muted or not, We Are Satanists by Blanche Barton is available for pre-order at satanet.com. Go pre-order it. And if you just love to collect everything you can about Satanism, or The Doctor, or the organization The Truth of Satan, Anton LaVey and The Truth of Satan by Carl Abramson is coming out next year, but you can pre-order it now, so check that as well. All the links are going to be in the show notes, all released tomorrow morning, if you're too lazy to search it yourself right now. Thank you again for tuning in, and until next week, Hail Satan.